I want you, I'm going to share a simple message with you, and it's entitled, Why Do We Go to Church? I know this sounds like kindergarten, and this sounds like, you know, Sunday school when you were four years old, but it's, I'll give you a little bit more meat than Sunday school at four-year-old. But there must be, we must talk about this, and this is one of those messages where we're going to record it and use it in the future for when people join our church. Because it's important that people know uh, because there is much pressure, not just for COVID, but there's pressure, there was pressure before COVID not to go to church. There's a lot of people that believe Jesus and me only. It's a false doctrine. It's a doctrine of demons. No, it's not Jesus and you only. Otherwise, he wouldn't have given you the local church. The local church is where you are strengthened and where you submit yourself and humble yourself to, to, to submit to those that rule over you, Hebrews 13, 17. So there's, there's always been pressure against this, but this COVID thing has just spiked it. And so I wanted to, I wanted to just be very frank, and I'm going to talk to you, but I'm also talking to the ones at home, because some of this, all of this applies to all of us, but some of this doesn't apply to the people in this room, because the people in this room are in this room. Yeah. And I'm talking, you're already at church. <laughs> I'm talking to people that are not in this room. But obviously it all applies to everybody, so don't tune out. But I wanted to just say that, uh, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not sobbing. I'm not whining. But I'll be honest with you, I've got to be transparent with you. Uh, it really hurt my feelings deeply. When, when Lorraine told me, Pastor Craig, we've got six services, we've got 450 people in the church, there's at least 150 that can't make it to any of the services if all of them were full. Six times 50, because of our 10 worship people that have to be here every time, is 300. We have at least 450. There's 150 that even if every one of the six services is maxed out, there's 150 that can't come even if they want to come. And so with that, and then her to tell me, Thursday night we have nine people signed up. And then next Friday we have 12 people signed up. What that says to me as a pastor, are you all listening to me while you eat your popcorn? What that says to me as your pastor is that I haven't seen you in five months. And there is an opportunity to come. And 150 people that, uh, <laughs> that could come, there's 150 that can't come anyway if, if we're full. But that means that, that means it's, there's 150 people that chose not to come, plus the others that could have come on that service. So it's more like almost 200 people. About 175 is the exact number. 175 people in our congregation with all the teaching, after not seeing us for five months and not being in my presence for five months, not that I'm important, but that the office is magnified. There's 175 people in this church that could have come and said, I don't feel like going. I'm not going. I don't care if it's Pastor Craig. I haven't seen him. He doesn't even look that good anyway. <laughs> Might have looked good after he finished the fast, but maybe you should go on another fast. I, I, I'm, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in going. I, I, I'm going to stay home. Yeah. 175 people out of 450 said that. Now, Jenny, uh, that, hurts my, that hurts my feelings. And so it took me about a day to get over that. But I've learned something very important. Uh, you can't ever minister out of a place of hurt. If you minister from a place of hurt feelings, you will, you will hurt, you will cut the sheep. There is a difference between taking, there is a rod and there is a staff. Okay, the staff is crooked to get the sheep when they're too close to the edge, come over here, baby. And that's why it's hooked because it goes around the sheep and it pulls them. But the rod is basically like a club and you beat that wolf brains out. You beat him to a bloody pulp. But you never use the rod on the sheep. You use the staff for the sheep and you use the rod. Do you understand? That's why he said, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Because it's comforting for a shepherd to say, hey, what are you doing here? That makes you feel safe. 
like a, like a parent says, honey, what are you doing here? Don't touch that stove. It's, it's a safety. But there's also a comfort. Thy rod comforts me, but he doesn't use the rod on the sheep. But it's comforting when you see him beat to death, the wolf. Do you understand? Are you all okay in this Presbyterian church? When you see the shepherd just wail on the devil and just destroy him and beat his brains out, that brings you comfort. <laughs> You're like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. See what happens to you, Mr. Devil? So thy rod on the devil and thy staff on me, they comfort me. Psalm 23. Are you with me? But I've learned don't ever pastor the sheep with the rod. Don't ever hurt them. And when ministers are hurt, in their hearts. When Moses got hurt, do you remember? Yeah. Moses got hurt. The Bible said that he told God, the people have offended me. The people have provoked me. He used the word provoke. Right, right. And then in Psalms, it says, God says, yes, the people provoked not just Moses, but God himself. But Moses went and hit the rock out of frustration instead of speaking to the rock. And then he said, but it's not my fault. It's the people's fault because they provoked me. And they did provoke him. And what did God say? Still your responsibility. He said, and because you did that, even though for 40 years you've been leading them faithfully in anticipation of this thing called the promised land, you will not enter in. Oh, my, my. The greatest man that ever lived in, the, in Israeli history other than Abraham was Moses. The one that is closest illustrated to Jesus in theologic, theological symbolism is Moses. The meekest man on all the earth, meekest man, that means to treat other people with patience, with submission, and with gentleness, was Moses. And he was, he, he, God was going to kill them all. And on many occasions, he said, God, don't kill them, please. Blot my name out for their name. Yeah. Right. I mean, he gave his life for the. If anybody deserved a pass, mm -hmm. right. Moses deserved the pass. Yeah. And when Moses was provoked and frustrated and hurt by the people and he lashed out, mm -hmm. God said, you should have controlled yourself. Yeah. I don't care what you've done. You're not going into the promised land. That's right. That's and there was no mercy there. Mm -hmm. If anybody deserved it, Moses said, so I've learned, don't ever use the rod on the sheep because God takes it personal. So I don't ever, I can't minister out of a place of hurt. Do you understand? It'd be better for me not to come in the pulpit and have my wife minister while I deal with my heart. I can't ever minister out of a place of hurt. So I'm not in a place of hurt. I let that go. I said, Lord, it hurts my feelings a little bit because I know how I treat my pastor. And believe me, I would be there more than I am because you can still fly there. You just have to quarantine when you get home. And I'd be there far more than I am right now, like I was going six times a year. Every other month I would see her before COVID hit. For different meetings she was doing for, for services at the Bible school, I'd always see her and have lunch with her at the Bible school when I'd go and teach. There's about six times a year, sometimes more, that I'm with her. So it's all, uh, the average was every other month I got to see my pastor spend private time with her. And I'd be down there more. The only reason I'm not is because of you. You say, me? Yeah, because if I go like I want to go to honor her and to spend time with her because I miss her and I love her, when I come back after quarantine for two weeks, which means I can't see you. So the congregation, my love for the congregation keeps me away from my pastor. I want people to understand this because they don't understand this. Because I have such honor for her and I want to be around her. And you telling me that if I hadn't seen her for five months and I had the opportunity and I turned it down? Like I can't even fathom that kind of dishonor because it's not the way I'm wired. And yet 175 people are wired that way in our church. So you can understand that that hurt me. It made me feel rejected. Like they could come, even if they don't like the prayer meeting, they could just come to bring their supply, to see each other, to see me, and to, almost, more importantly, worship Jesus. But they chose not to, and that's why we had nine people and 12 people on the fourth and fifth, so the, 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 the two prayer meeting services. And we had to fill it out, all the other ones, with the hungry people. 
So a lot of people had two services this week because they were hungry enough to come on Thursday and we had people that could have come that didn't come. So I had to deal with that because it hurt me. I'm just being honest with you. I'm not a robot. I have feelings. And it hurt me. And so I had to deal with that before I got in the pulpit because I said, Lord, I can't get in the pulpit with hurt feelings because I'll get the rod out. And I'm not going to ever hit them with the rod. But I will use the staff. And the staff says, come on over here. You're you're in error. This is wrong. This thinking is not right. It doesn't please God. You're not thinking right on this. I'm not mad at you. God's not mad at you, but you've got to get your right thinking. Your thinking needs to be straightened out or it's going to hurt your future. And so I, I, I dealt with it, and I'm fine. So I don't want anybody to email me or say sorry, nothing like that. Even if you wanted the 75, just keep it to yourself. I, I don't need that. I'm fine. My heart's fine. But, I, but, but I, then I prayed, and I said, uh, I called Pastor Nancy, and I just said to her, Pastor, am I the only loser pastor in, in, in this whole thing that is dealing with this? Because I said, I, I don't know. I, t- I taught him better than that. And she said, oh, Pastor. And she said, every single FOF minister that I have spoken to in a year, every single one without an exception, every single one that she has spoken to has said that they're experiencing the exact same problem that you are. And she said, my church at World Harvest Church, we experience the exact same problem that you are. And she said, uh, there is two reasons for it. One is fear and one is laziness. And she said, uh, she said, I suspect it's more laziness than fear, but she said there are some that are legitimately afraid, and we'll address that later in the service today. And she said there's some that are making COVID an excuse because they've got so comfortable staying home. They don't want to get dressed up anymore. They don't want to make the effort anymore. But I want you to know something, that Jesus is worth the effort. Amen. You may not think I'm worth the effort, and maybe I'm not, but Jesus is worth the effort. And so I'm giving you some reasons as to why we go to church. So after I talked with her, that made me feel better that I'm not the only one going through this. Because sometimes you can feel like you failed as a pastor because how could people react that way if you've taught them the Word of God? They should live the Word of God. But then I realized everybody's going through this. So this is not just me. This is, and everybody's just as good of a teacher, if not better than I am. So I, I, it helped me a little bit. It made me feel a little bit like I'm not the only one facing this issue. And then I prayed and I said, but Lord, and I want you all to listen to very carefully. I said, Lord, I just want you to know, even though not all of them are acting right in person, that the vast majority, 90% or so, are acting right financially. And I did. I, I hand on the Bible. I prayed this prayer. I said, Lord, it don't matter to me that much if they come. I'd want them to. They should. I know it hurts you that they don't. But Father, the fact that they're bringing their supply financially, because 90% are still tithing, and we're almost making the budget, but not quite, but almost. I said, the fact that, that the budget is virtually being met, I said, it shows me that their heart's still with me. Because yeah. where your money is, where your heart is, the Bible says, your treasure is. Yeah. So if, you're, if your tithes and offerings are here, it means that you are committed, even if you could come, but you don't come. So I said, Lord, thank you for this congregation. It is a blessing to me. They are at least bringing a financial supply, and the majority are bringing an in-person supply. But Lord, I'll just forgive those that aren't, and for those that don't think right, and we'll let it go. And the Lord spoke to me. And he said, son, I'm glad that you've, you've adjusted your heart on this. He said, but I want you to preach about this on Sunday. And I said, but Lord, I don't need to preach about it. They're giving. If they're giving, it shows their hearts with me, even if their body's not. He said, I want you to teach this on Sunday because it's more than giving. Praise them and honor them and pat them on the back for their faithfulness in giving. But I require more than giving. And I kind of fought him. I said, Lord, I don't really want to preach. I have another message. It's an encouraging one. It'd make them holler and hoot and shout and dance. I said, this one, I'm just going to have a Presbyterian response to this one. I said, but Lord, uh, I don't want it to. And he says, I want you to tell them, thank them and honor them for their financial supply. But there's more in life than financial supply. There is an honor for Jesus that he requires. 
And so I am doing this message not because I'm doing it out of hurt and not because I'm doing it because I'm trying to change my church because we're the only church doing this because every pastor is facing this. And I'm not doing this because I'm disappointed or mad because I'm actually grateful that you're giving. But I'm doing this because the Lord said to me, you put off what you were going to preach and I want you to talk to them about why they come to church. So I have a very simple, this is very simple, but it's important and I want you to pay attention. So why do we go to church? I'm going to give you a couple reasons. Number one, because you are a supply. Now there's a great verse that we all love doctor for and and Pastor Nancy and him wrote a book about it called I Have a Supply. Right? And we say that all the time. I have a supply. I have a supply. I have a supply. Amen? Do we not? Are you all... Okay, do we not? You have to all do double duty because there's not as many people here, okay? See, Taylor's exhausted because for four months he's been doing 10 times duty and he's the only one that said amen because he's the only one here, okay? But now all of you are here. Reuben, I haven't heard you say amen yet. Why don't you try one on for size? I, I didn't hear you. Amen. Oh, yeah, amen. Praise God. Now I feel, the, I feel healthy, happy now. Praise God. Quinny, I haven't heard you yet. Amen. I haven't heard you, Cole. Amen. There we go. My God, we're in revival as I speak. Now, Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And we have said and continue to say, I have a supply. Yes, sir. But I want you to also add another confession to your list of confessions. Instead of only saying, I have a supply, why don't you start saying, I am a supply? Very good. Very, very good. Because I have a supply releases God's power into your life, but saying, I am a supply releases the supply of God in your life into other lives into the local church, into the vision, into what God... You have a supply, but you are also a supply. And we can't just say, I have a supply. We must say, I am a supply. I am needed in the local church. Now, I want you to read with me in Ephesians chapter 4. Can you turn there? It's 1130. Uh, You know, I'm not going to keep you long, but I I got some points to get out, and I'm going to go pretty quick. So bear with me and kind of hold on tight as we go for this ride together. You ever run those roller coasters? And you have to hold on tight. Praise God. So just hold on tight because I'm going to go quickly, but these are important points. So Ephesians chapter 4. And I want you to read with me down here, please. And it says in verse 16, From whom the whole family from Jesus, the whole family fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, makes increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, if you read the context, which I won't for sake of time, but it's talking about in verse 11 that he gave pastors and prophets and teachers, and what's their job for the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry to edify the body of Christ, till we all come into maturity, basically, verse 13 says, and that will not be tossed with false doctrine and the the spirit of the world, verse 14 says, but that would speak the truth in love and grow up. Dad Hagen wrote a book called Growing Up Spiritually. God wants us to grow up and not stay baby Christians. He wants us to grow up. When you have the pastor and the five offices, you have the local church to grow up spiritually. That means if you're in church, you should grow up. You shouldn't have the same attitude, the same words, the same thought process 10 years later as you did when you were a baby. Otherwise, you're not growing. A child grows physically. A Christian should grow spiritually. So we know we are to grow up. But now it tells you in verse 16, from whom the whole family, uh, the whole body is fitly joined together and compacted. That means, are you listening? That means that the body, the family, the local church, individual Christians are fitly joined. Do you see that word fit? You have a puzzle piece fit. There, you're not, uh, the devil wants to make you feel like you don't fit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
that nobody loves me, that there's no love in this church, that I don't know, I don't seem to fit. No, 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 that's a lie of the devil. Because God says when he's called you to a church and you know that this is home and that that pastor is your pastor, that there is a fitly joined. There is a fit. You've just got to find it. There is a fit. In the spirit, there's a fit. And in the natural, there's a fit. I don't have any friends. Find some. There are friends in this church because if God puts you here, you fit. But you don't come for the friends, but they are available if you just show yourself friendly. If you never come out to any events, how do you expect to make friends? If you leave, somebody said to me a while ago, I got no friends. And I said, yeah, but I noticed that before, as I'm saying the last prayer, before I even leave the sanctuary, you're out the door. How do you expect to get friends if you never talk to anybody? She said, but I don't like anybody. I said, darling, that's why you don't have friends. Because you don't like anybody. I said, because you don't spend enough time to get to know anybody. You might have to go through 25 people, but you might find somebody that you have something in common with. And then you develop that and then you walk in love and you, you ignore their edges and they'll ignore yours because all of you have some, including me. And, and we eventually find that natural fit, but there's a spiritual fit within the whole body, fitly joined together and compacted. That means, are you listening? It's, it's fitted, but now it's also compacted. This speaks of both your fit and unity. There is a unity that is here in the body, and we can't have unity if you're not here. People don't come to church, Jenny, because they don't think they have anything to offer. They don't think they are a supply. They, don't, they think that their supply is not important enough. And I'm telling you more than ever before in this season, your in-person supply matters to me. And it matters to your brothers and sisters, and it matters more importantly to Jesus. You are valuable, you are important, and we want you with us. This is not a manipulation tactic. This is what God says. The whole body is fitly, it is a fit, joined together, that's unity, and compacted by which every joint, not the smoking joint, okay? It's talking about the joint in your knee or the joint in your elbow. You've got to say that because now everybody said joint and now it's legal, right? You know what I'm saying? You've got to just say this, Jenny. You've got to teach people, right? It's with <laughs> fitly compacted by which every ligament. Why don't we use that word? By which every ligament supplies. Did you notice the word supplies? That means Reverend Greg. Now, according to the effectual working, according to the effectual measure of the working of every part, that means Reverend Greg has a fit. He is to be in unity. And he has as a ligament, as a joint, a supply. But it's according to the effectual working of his part. Amen. Because his finances, he makes X. His tithe is Y and his offerings is Z. And, and that total might be whatever it is. But then the other man might make three times that and give three times that. And so, well, he's unimportant because he doesn't give as much. No, no, his measure, the effectual working of his measure is this. And the effectual working of his measure right. is that. Yeah. That's right. And every, so God is not interested in the dollar amount. He's interested in the effectual working of the measure of your part. What is your part? Well, Vesna might be real good at talking on the phone, but Bob might be real good at fixing things. Well, is Vesna more important than Bob? No, because Bob's measure, the effectual working of his measure is to help fix things. And the effectual working of Vesna's measure is to talk to people on the phone. I'm just hyping that. I'm not saying that that's what it is for them. I'm just saying. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some people are good at more encouraging. Other people are good. There's things called the motivational gifts in Romans. Uh, it's just a theological term. It's not really, it's not God didn't call them motivational gifts. But there's different, there's seven categories. One of them is giving. Some people, their supply is more finances. Others, it's, it's, it's more teaching. Others, it's more administration. Others, it's more leadership. Others, it's caring for people and just talking to the downtrodden. If you look at those seven categories, that's the supply broken up into seven colors 
in the body of Christ. Are you a blue or an orange? But you are a color. You're not gray. You are a color. Praise God. And you have a supply. You are a supply to bring. And when all of this happens, you bring your supply because you bring one according to the measure of your part. Don't compare yourselves. You've got a precious part that Jesus wants and needs, that we want and need, not just in your electronic transfer of your tithe, but an in-person supply. And when you come in person, the effectual working of your part, it makes the body, what does it say here? Did you read the end of verse 16 with me? It, it makes increase of the body edifying, building up the body in love. The more you come, the more our love walk gets stronger. And the more this church, the vision of this church, the body of Christ locally called Promise of Life, it grows, building up. It, it grows, increase, increase. We want increase. But did you notice the increase? You have to find your fit. You have to be in unity. You have to come in person and financially. Ideally, both. Normally, it was before. It was bring, come in person, you bring your finances. Now everybody's emailing which is great in COVID, but there's still something about coming in person with your finances, but in person supply, not just financial. And you bring your fit, your measure, your supply, according to your part, and there's increase. And when everybody doesn't do that, what happens to the local church? It starts to wane. And the devil starts to take over. If people realize, Jenny, that their lack of coming in person to a church service actually aids the devil's kingdom because it weakens the church and when the church is weakened and not increasing the devil takes more ground because people don't realize how important their in-person supply is so i want to remind you of that now the second point praise god is one why we do it because you are a supply number two you do it because jesus asked you to i mean that really all i have to do is preach one point and it's this point because this point settles the whole score if Jesus asked you to do something and he hung on the cross for you, I'm sorry, but there is no argument about it. There's no question. You do it. Amen. When I was getting tired and I heard that there was hardly anybody watching, that, then I heard later that people watched it after the fact and I didn't know that. But, you know, I thought, What's, why am I doing all this mess? This is a lot of work. I don't always feel like doing it. Why am I doing this? And, 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 that, and you know, I was talking to the staff and I was getting a bit frustrated because they were saying the numbers were very low. And I heard the Lord speak to me right there in the staff meeting. He said, you're doing this for them, you're doing this for me. Because yeah. I asked you to. I mean, I total, total adjustment instantly. I said, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I repent. You ask me to do it, I'll do anything for you because I love you. I'll do anything for you. I'd live in a gutter if you asked me to. Not that you are, but if you did, I would. I'd give anything away. I'd go any place. I'll do anything because I truly love you more than anyone or anything else ever in this world ever. He is my first. I love him. And he's asked, he asked me to do it. So it don't matter anything else. It's joy just because he asked me. Yeah. And it doesn't matter how far you drive, what the gas prices are, if you have to wear a mask or don't have to wear a mask. If Jesus said, don't forsake the gathering together of yourselves, he is asking you to come to church. And therefore, just because he asked, it should be enough. Yeah. I'm not preaching to you all because you're here. I'm preaching to some of you all that are watching. I, I'm being honest with you about it. Hebrews 10, 25, quickly, I just quoted it, but I want you to see it in black and white. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not forsaking together the assembly of yourselves, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner or habit of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day, which is the rapture, approaching. And we see it coming. So all of a sudden he says it, and so much the more. That means you need to be in church more than you were before, as the, as the days get closer to the rapture, you need to be in church more, yes. not less. Yes. 
And did you notice it says, as is the manner or the, or the habit or the custom? Right. Do you understand? Yeah. Now, uh, let me tell you that I w you can read, well, okay, Luke 2, 42. I have to read it because it's too good not to read it, but I'm trying to rush. Luke chapter 2, verse 42. Just look at that for me for a second. Luke 2, 42. Jesus had this habit and he's our example. Luke 2.42, the Bible says, And when he was 12 years old, they went, him and his parents and his brothers and sisters, went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. Yeah. Custom means that it was their custom. It was their manner of life. It was their habit. Yeah. They went every year. This shows me that Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, were teaching him habits. Yes. And if they honored the feast of Passover in Jerusalem, which was a, a, a bit of a journey for them to walk from Nazareth to, you know, hard, hard walking on the road. There's no taxi cabs. They're walking with mules and everything. If they're honoring the custom, the habit of the feast in Jerusalem, even though it was great sacrifice, how much more would they honor the custom and the habit of daily synagogue attending in Nazareth? Right. He grew up with habits. Right. Mm -hmm. Now... If you'd please look with me in the book of, same book, Luke 4. Go over two chapters, Luke 4 and verse 16. Luke 4 and verse 16. And Jesus came to Nazareth, this is after he fasted and everything, and when he had been, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Right. Jesus had a habit, right. a faithful habit of going to church. Yes. What we call church, what they call synagogue. Uh -huh. yeah. But he said the church, I will build my church. So we don't call it synagogue, we call it church because we're born again believers, we're not Jews. So Jesus went to church as it was his custom. Right. Did you see that? That means all the way through his childhood, parents, pay attention. The parents taught Jesus the habit of going to church. Yes. And when Jesus was old, he didn't abandon that habit. Right. And if parents don't put that habit and that manner of living in their children, God's house is first. When the child is older and making their own decisions as a young adult, they will follow the lead of their parents and church will not be first. I'm telling you the truth about it. Yeah. Jesus had a habit. I'm not saying that every child obeys that habit when they're older, even though their parents instilled it in them, but there's a higher chance that they will because they saw the parent put God first. So do you notice we don't always feel like coming to church? Sure. Can I tell you an, an honest truth about it? Sometimes my wife is so tired. Four kids, the ministry, the pressures, the darkness. She's up very, very early every morning praying. She just, sometimes just gets physical. And sometimes she looks at me and she just said, sometimes with tears in her eyes, she goes, I am so tired. I just, I just can't go. I just can't go to another, sir. I just can't. And then she'll pause for a second and everything in me wants to say, honey, you just stay home and rest. And sometimes I do. And sometimes I say, honey, we got to. We're the pastors. <laughs> we got to. But she's a human and I'm a human. And I've looked at her many times and said, I just feel like I just, I, I'm just too, I'm I just am too tired. I can't do it. But she looks at me and she says a very powerful statement. She says, I feel like I can't. But because he asked me to, I will. And I see her drag her body and bones out of that bed and get dressed and get the kids ready and go on down, even though she's exhausted. Why? Because Jesus asked her to. I'm telling you, she'll stand before Jesus and he'll say, I asked you to do it and I'm so proud of you for listening. I don't always feel like doing it either. Uh, just because it's my job doesn't really matter. You get to take sick days. I don't. You get to take vacations. I, I don't really, not really. 
I don't know the last time we had a vacation where I missed a service because of a vacation. It's one thing if I'm preaching somewhere in the world, but as an, occasionally I do, and I think I have a right to it. But I'm just saying, you can miss your job almost any time you want and get away with it more or less. I can't. This is my job. But I'm not doing it because I can't, the board won't let me be off. I'm doing it because Jesus asked me to do it. Amen. And that's the, really the motive of our heart. And, and you, you've got, you really got, can I read you a little quote? I won't tell you the name because I don't know if he wants to be made public, but one of the pastors in the GTA area who's formed a coalition of hundreds of pastors across Canada, and I'm in that coalition, and they're, they're meeting next week online because they're trying to do a forced government action where they threaten the government with lawyers to say, if you don't let us meet at full capacity or at least 50% capacity by Easter, we're going to all do it en masse and violate you. And Whatever you do to us, tough luck. They're trying to raise a coalition of hundreds of pastors across Canada to do that. And they're asking me, and my answer is, well, I have to be led by the Spirit. So, you know, so I'm going to pray about it, but I'm on the call with them this week so they can tell us their plan and their legal plan of action and all that kind of stuff. But in the email that he said, now he has been doing this already. That's his decision, not my decision. And he, that's his issue, not my issue. But he's been doing this in his church, and the police have surrounded his building more than once, and they've arrested him more than once, and he's gone to courtroom now since in the last three months more than once. And in the email that he sent me and the other pastors, let me just read you one paragraph. He said, we have met openly and illegally and have received multiple charges from the crown, including contempt of court. Our quote-unquote illegal worship experiences were a tremendous blessing. And we believe that our Savior has found a reward for his sufferings by us having services. Now that's his opinion. I'm not emphasizing, does Jesus find a reward in the fact that we meet and are persecuted and fined and charged and imprisoned because the government tells us not to? Does Jesus find a reward in that? I don't know. I'm being honest with you. Because we also need to obey the law of the land, and unless they're openly persecuting us, but they're also persecuting hair salons. So you can't just say it's churches because there's a lot of businesses that are hurting right now. So you can't really say it's persecution unless they're targeting us. So this is his opinion that Lord is receiving a reward by their sufferings. That's not the argument that I'm making here. The argument I'm making is whether he's right or wrong, look at his heart. He is willing to go to prison and so is his board of directors and so is his congregation if necessary in order for the purpose of gathering in person, lifting hands and as a family of God, hearing the word and honoring Jesus. They are willing to go to prison for it and I have 175 folk in my congregation that were legally able to and they still won't come. Now I, I just, I, I gotta be honest with you. Because I'm not saying I agree with him because otherwise I'd be violating the law too. I don't agree necessarily with what he's doing and God's not leading me to do that. But I am, I am honoring his heart because the heart says Jesus asked us to. If Jesus asked us to, I don't care what anybody else says, I'm doing it. Now we are being led by the Spirit even in him asking us to. That's why we're not doing what this pastor's doing. But I just thought to myself, here they are, the congregation willing to be fined and here my congregation is, they won't even come when they're legally allowed to come. What, what, what is that? And by the way, this church, I can't say the name, but this church does not believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This church does not believe in faith. This church does not believe in anything Dad Hagen teaches. This church is a very fundamental, basic, basic doctrinal church. And here we are, Holy Ghost, faith people. Yeah. I'm not talking to you. You guys, I'm looking at you, but I'm not preaching to you because you're here. 
I'm talking to some of the other ones, and I'm not doing it out of a place of hurt. I'm doing it out of a place of, if Jesus asks us to do it, it get, get going. Because other churches are being fined, and they're doing it because they have a heart, and, and, and hear promise of life, the big promise. You know, promise of life, we've got great best doctrine, we've got the Holy Ghost, we've got word of faith, we've got praise God, hallelujah, and we can't even come to church. And the ones that don't believe in the Holy Ghost and don't understand faith and don't understand any of that, they're willing to go to prison for Jesus. But here we are for a promise of life. Praise God, promise of life. And, and we can't even show up. D did, you all, did you all see that, that are watching? You, know, you got your popcorn? Good, good. Praise God. The third reason we do it is uh, because we're putting him first. What's the first reason? Because you are a supply. What's the second reason? Because he asked you to. What's the third reason? Because your heart should want to put him first. They're kind of one and two and three are kind of connected. But anyway, Matthew chapter 6, 33. I'm not saying this from a place of hurt. Yeah. The Bible says rebuke, correct, mm -hmm. exhort. Oh, yes. And exhort doesn't just mean encourage. It, the fourth statement that Paul says is encourage, build up. But rebuke, correct, and exhort. Exhort means to teach, to change wrong thinking. This is wrong thinking that our congregation has. My job is not to let it go. I'm so grateful because they're, they're still so, sowing finances. You're bringing a supply financially. Thank you. I didn't want to preach this. The Lord said to me, you preach it because I require more than finances. I require their commitment to me. And if they can and they won't, what does that say to our Savior? He's, he's grieved. And he sees another church who don't even understand half of what we've been taught. And they're packing the place in with cops outside ready to arrest them. My God, if a cop showed up on our property, probably nobody would show up except me and you. Be very careful that I don't hurt anybody's feelings. Matthew chapter 6. It's not an easy job being a pastor. Don't ever ask God to be a pastor. <laughs> Just do what God asks you to do. If he wants you to be a pastor, he has to help you because it's not always easy. Do you understand? Especially sermons like this. Uh, but that's why I ask you to say amen a lot because I need the moral support. Anyway, but seek ye first, didn't say last or middle, the kingdom of God and his, his righteousness, that means his way of doing it, being right about his way of doing it. And all these things will be added to you. Everybody wants things added, but they don't want to seek first. They don't want to put them first. Didn't Jesus say put them first? When I'm putting them first, I'm praying. But he told you as the chief shepherd that you have an under shepherd. And he said, don't forsake the habit. Don't forsake gathering in my house because some are making that their habit. And I don't want you to make it your habit. I want you to make it your habit like I, Jesus, was as a child and as a man, as, as a minister. And Luke 2 and Luke 4, I made it my custom to come. I want you to do the same. I'm your example. So we do it because we are a spy. We do it because he asked us to. We do it because we put him first. We put him first. Are you still with me? Yeah. Now, Proverbs chapter 3, 6. So we just read of the offering, so I won't read it again. It says, trust in the Lord. And it says, do all these things. Lean not unto your own understanding. and all your ways, acknowledge him. That word acknowledge means to know him intimately by observation. Studied in the Hebrew language. How do you know somebody intimately by observation if they're last in your life? The only way you can really know somebody, your spouse, your best friend, is because you spend time with them. When you are spending time observing them, you're going to get to know their ways, which means they have to be first in your life in order for you to have sufficient time to observe them visually. And then, and then it goes into verse 9, and he says, honor the Lord by giving him the first. So what he's saying is, don't go with your way of thinking. I want you to go with God's way of thinking. Acknowledge him, put him first. And then later he says, and don't just put him first in general, but verse 9 is specific about money. He says, now put him first in your money. But did you notice he said in verse 6, put him first. And he'll direct you. 
Then in verse 9, he says, put him first in your finances, and he'll bless you, verse 10. Do you see? You can see this all the way, all the way through the Bible. It's all there. Now, Exodus chapter 20. You say, Pastor, I didn't know we read Old Testament Scripture. Well, yes, of course we do. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3. I'm giving you some Scripture because Scripture is the foundation pillar of truth. I'm not just giving you my opinion here. I have to give you Scripture. Amen. Verse, very easy. It's an easy one to memorize. Verse 3, Exodus 20, verse 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What is a God? Not just a little Buddha statue. A God is anything that takes your primary attention. That's what a God is. You can love cars and it be a God, but you don't bow down and worship the car. But you spend more time on the car than you do with God. Your job can be your God. Money is most people's God because Jesus said the God of the world is money. They would serve, they want to make money more than they want to honor God. So what is he saying? I don't want you, anything else is before me. What is another way of saying that, Errol? I want to be first. You'll have nothing else ahead of me. In our society, a lot of things take, 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 they try to press to get your attention other than God. And, and I'm telling you, now, would you read one more Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 27? Could you look there with me? You all okay? Praise God. You know, I'm just talking because I have to, not necessarily you folk, but more people at home, I have to talk to them because the Lord said, I don't just require their finances, I require their life. Are you with me? Yes. Everybody there? Yes. Just, just drink another swig of pop right now and have it. Just stuff your face full of popcorn. Hopefully it's caramel flavored. And just smile and say, I love, I love the word of God. Amen. Amen. And don't be offended. Matthew 27, 37. Would you read that with me quickly? I'm keeping an eye on the time. Do not be concerned. Matthew 27. Is it 27? Help us, Jesus. Matthew 27, 37. No, that is not the right one. Ah, oh, praise the Lord. Taylor, what, why, why did you tell me that's the wrong scripture? <laughs> Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Google, I need your assistance. Praise God. Matthew 22, verse 37. You can find any verse in the Bible, just read it into Google. Google knows the Bible better than the devil does. I'm telling you something about it. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37. Matthew chapter 22, not 27, my apologies, and verse 37. And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. What is he saying? Make me first. If you love God with all of you, he's first. Do you see that? Of course, that's also in Mark 12, 30 and also in Deuteronomy 6, 5. But Jesus was quoting Deuteronomy 6, 5 when he said that. So what's the first reason we go to church? Though so simple, but it does need to be reminded. We do it because we are a supply. And we want the church to increase. Spiritually, naturally, physically, financially, in every way. We want the church to increase. And so number two, we do it because he asked us to. And number three, we do it because he's first in our life. And number four, we do it to be faithful. We do it to be faithful. This is a powerful verse. Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 and verse 22. Acts chapter 13. This is a wonderful verse. I love this verse. Acts 13, 22. And when he had removed him, he raised up. He's talking about Saul. In verse 21, God's talking about Saul being the king. And when he had removed Saul, he raised up unto them, the children of Israel, David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony. God gave testimony of David. This is what God said about David, Jenny. What a testimony to have about you. And said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. 
Now, if you studied in the Greek language, what it means is, I have found a man that will do it faithfully as I have it in my heart. When you're faithful, you do it as God has it. Remember Ricky Edwards came a while back and he preached us about five, six years ago. And he's a very humorous preacher. We like him because he makes us laugh a lot. And, and, and he was supposed to come actually, but we had to cancel him because of COVID, but he'll, he'll come again. And so we love him. He's down in, in, in Oklahoma in the cowboy country. And he's just a great preacher. But he, he taught a whole sermon, all verses from the Old and New Testament about what faithfulness really means. And faithfulness, the definition is doing something as the leader has it in their heart. If I ask Taylor, Taylor, please call six people and tell them uh, these three points. And he calls six people and tells five of them three points. But the last one, he only tells them two points. Has he been faithful? He did the job, but he wasn't faithful because he didn't follow the instructions. He didn't do it as I had it in my heart. If Pastor Nancy says to me, and she does, I'd like you to do this, Pastor Craig, but I know a better way to do it, and I try to explain it to her because I think it will save her money or it will save her time, but she says it's in my heart, and I don't do it the way she's asked. I haven't been faithful to her. That's right. So it's not about me having the smartest idea or having the better judgment. It's about being faithful as the leader, or in this case, God has it in his heart. What does God have in his heart? That's what we have to be faithful to do. Not as we have it in our hearts, but as God has it in his hearts. So some folks say it's not in my heart to go to church because of the masks, because of they don't wear enough masks because they wear too many masks. It's not in my heart to go because I'm afraid. It's not in my heart to go because my boss is going to get upset with me. It's not in my heart to go because it's too far. It's not in my heart to go because I like watching it at home. I feel more of the anointing at home. It doesn't matter what is in your heart. It matters what's in God's heart. And you're not considered faithful by God's standard unless you do it as he does it in his heart and you fulfill his will, not your will. Your will must bow to his will. Now, I'm trying to tell you that he has it in his heart for people to come because I've just given you these verses. He asked us to do it and we need to put him first. So I've given you scripture to prove that it's in his heart. So if you want to be a faithful Christian, you got to do it as he has it in his heart, not as you have it in your heart, no matter the inconvenience or the danger. There is no danger. We have not had one recorded case of COVID that people got because of coming to our church. There has been about nine people in the church over the last year that got COVID, but not one of them got it from being in church. Every one of them, we've asked them, every one of them got it from outside the church. So not one case, and there will never be a case because I seal this place with the blood of Jesus. So for congregation members to not come out of fear, they obviously don't really trust their pastor. They don't trust God. They don't trust the blood. They don't trust anything. They don't trust the angels because they're afraid that they're going to catch a disease that is not on this property. There's a better chance that you're going to get COVID if you're afraid because you're a magnet that draws disease to you when you're afraid. There's a better chance you'll get it in the grocery store than at Promise of Life because you're surrounded by people that don't have any faith. You have a better chance of catching it in your workplace than you do at Promise of Life because they don't, they don't keep the, their place spiritually clean like I keep this place spiritually clean. Yes. Do you understand? So I'm trying to simply tell you that to be faithful is to do it as God has it in his heart. Now, what does, I'll quote it to you for sake of time, but what does Proverbs 18 verse 20 say? It says the faithful man, not the educated man, the faithful man, not the rich man, the faithful man will abound in blessings. Faithfulness is the key to open the chest of God's increase. Yeah. You can almost be adult and make it in life just by being faithful. Mm -hmm. 
I know people that don't even know properly how to read and write. They just were faithful to their boss. They didn't quit. And they've been promoted and promoted and promoted just because of faithfulness. Not because of education, not because they were the best organizers, but just because they were faithful to do what the boss had in his heart. And the boss will often look over the PhD candidates or the double master's degree candidates or whatever and say, you don't have nothing. You, you don't, you're not even that smart. But you know what? I can count on you. I know when I ask you to be here, you will be here. Now that highfalutin guy over there, he might, he might not. I know when I ask you to do this, you're going to do it exactly like I asked. But that guy, because he's got so much education, he thinks he's smarter than me. And I never know if he's going to do it exactly the way I asked or not. So you're faithful and that guy's not. I've seen people that don't even have any education rise to the top of corporations simply because of faithfulness. Faithfulness causes you to abound with blessing. Faith, God wants to, God wants to bless us. But he can't because a lot of us are doing it as we have it in our heart instead of as he has it in his heart. Yes. Can I be honest with you as I get ready to close? That's number one, Taylor. Keep track of how many times I say that. <laughs> I don't want to go to the Philippines. What? I don't want to do a church in Inverness, Nova Scotia. I want to do nothing. I called Pastor Nancy and I said to her, why is God doing this to me? I said those exact words to her. I said, why is he doing this to me? I don't even want this. I mean, it's one thing if I wanted it and praying for it. I don't even want it. I want everybody else to do it because I want Jesus to be exalted. I don't want to do it. I got, I'm just trying to learn to fly the plane so I don't crash into a mountain. Okay? I'm just trying to keep the staff from killing each other. No, we have a great staff and they don't kill each other. I'm trying to get the board of directors born again. And we've, all, we've almost got there. We've almost got there. We've almost got there. Praise God. I have a feeling Reverend Greg's going to make the decision for Jesus today. Praise God. I, Jennifer, <laughs> I, we got enough on this thing and just a little traveling and running past Nancy's Canadian office and then running the Israel thing, which I didn't want either, and God said, I want you to do it. Why? And now he gives me this church in Delaware, and I told them, I don't want your church. And I told the pastor, I don't want your church. And I told God, I doubly don't want their church. And God had Pastor Nancy call me and rebuke me and say, God is telling you to do this, now do it. And I said, but I don't want to do it. And she says, God, if God offers you, you don't say no. And so sulkingly, I took the Delaware church because it's just more work. Yeah. I'm aware that ministry is not spelled M-I-N-I-C-R-I. It's spelled W-O-R-K. Right. Yeah. That's all ministry is, is work. Yeah. You want to be a leader in this church? You better get ready to work because if you don't want to work, you ain't gonna, you're not going to make it. Yeah. I have no ambition whatsoever. Right. So when he come to me and says, Villavis, I said, no, sir. <laughs> no, sir. That's the rumble says, you got your wires crossed. They're in Marietta. We're friends. We sit at the same table. You got your wires crossed. Call them. They're Filipino, not me. But he said, I'm asking you to do this. Then he said, Inverness. And I tried to talk him out of that because this is now a church that we are planting like Pulsa. And Dan and Hannah are pastors under our auspices. We are planting the promise of life flag in Inverness. This is not their church. This is our church that they are pastoring as our extension. That's called a hardwired connection. I prefer wireless. Let them do their own thing. I've got no responsibilities. And I don't have to give no money. And if they mess it up, no, they're not my problem. It's your problem. But now there's all the pressure on me. And then when he said the Philippines, I said, no problem. We'll send, we'll, we'll give 20 bucks a month to a missionary. I know a good missionary. 20 bucks. Done. Done. And he said, no, not only are you going to start a work there and a church there, uh, and he said, but it's going to be your work and you're planting the flag of promise of life in the nation of the Philippines. And he's told me the couple who's supposed to do it from this church and the couple has already, God's already been dealing with them long before he even told me he was dealing with them. And they have just recently in the last few days accepted the challenge and accepted the call and they are moving, relocating to the Philippines 
to plant a church of promise of life in the Philippines. And I said, but I don't want to do that, Lord. Just let somebody else do it. Let them be wireless. I'll pray for them. Oh, God, bless them. And I don't have to think about it again for another month. Oh, God, bless them. Now there's work, W-O-R-K, I have to do. And I have to go. I don't want to go. I'm just talking about the natural. There's enough to do with my kids and my dog. I want to spend more time with my lovely wife. I don't be going all over the world. But Jesus asked me, he said, this is what I have in my heart, son. You don't have it in your heart, but I have it in my heart. And I'm going to judge you when you get to heaven, how you honored what I had in my heart, not what you had in your heart. So if you want to be called faithful, you better do what I tell you to do. And I'll give you the desire to do it and the grace to do it and the money to do it. And I'll even let you have some fun while you do it. Because that's how good he is. That's how good he is. He'll actually give you, have, have you have fun while you do it. Praise God. Hallelujah. When I go to Africa, I said, I don't want to go to Africa. He says, well, can I sweeten the pot by the autobahn? I said, well, you, you, you're, you're starting to talk my language. You keep talking about that for a little bit. And so he said, well, if, if you go, I'll let you go on the autobahn for seven hours. I said, you will? I know you mock at that, but I didn't want to go to Africa. But he sweetened the pot. God knows how to get you over places. He'll give you something you like. Now, he knows I'll do it because he asked me to do it. But, 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 but somebody paid for me, and I rented a really expensive car. They paid for it. Let them pay for it. Nice, fast car. And I did 242 kilometers an hour, and I would have gone faster, but that red light, it's, it's got a, a, a thing on the engine, it won't let you go faster. And it says, speed warning, speed warning. I said, I bind you in Jesus' name, but I keep going. And that Porsche passed me, brother, like I'm sitting still. And then a Ferrari passed the Porsche like it was sitting still. You have got no idea what those cars, those Italian cars, you have got no idea what they can do. Those Italians know how to fly. <laughs> Let me tell you something. But you see, uh, it was only six hours, but, but he just, he said, listen, I know that you like driving fast as long as your angels. My angels fly very quickly. But he won't let me drive fast here because it's against the law. But over in, over, over in Germany, Brother uh, Barry, you see the speed limit. It says 120, and then there's an X through it. When you see the X, it means angels fly, fly away. Now, I've seen on your street, he, did a, uh, he took a spray paint can and he did an X on the 60, but that don't count. The government has to do the X, not you. And it is a wonderful feeling driving that fast if you're in control and if you don't kill yourself. And at one point, I was in a car which was not the expensive car because I still was cheap back then, and I rented a little uh, Pergo or Peugeot or whatever you call it, Peugeot or whatever, and I took that thing up, and at about 192, the whole car started vibrating. I mean vibrating like a, like a machine, like a chair you're in. And I thought, God, I've got to hit, I've got to, I can't go back and tell Greg I didn't hit 200. And I'm pushing that thing. I'm, I mean, there's no cars. I'm legal. There's the X through the thing. Oh, Jesus, help me. I've got to hit 200. And I mean, that car, 197, it started to go, and I heard the Holy Ghost say, slow down. Because that car would have, we would have had an accident because it can't take it. So I don't go with no French cars. Don't go French cars. You go with German or Italian cars. German or Italian cars can take it. Praise God. I just say that as an antidote to let you know, Jesus wants to make you happy. He'll let you eat at the restaurants you want to. He'll let you have a little extra fun here and there. But he wants you to do what he has in his heart. Coming to church, he has it in his heart. Would you remember that congregation? The first reason you come to church is because you are a supply. The second reason is to put him first. Sorry, is because he asked you to. The third reason is to put him first. The fourth reason is to be faithful. If the people that aren't coming are doing it out of laziness, well, let's stop doing that. 
If the people that are do not coming are doing it out of fear, can I tell you something? Fear is a choice. Now, a lot of people don't agree with me, but that's let me explain why. When you're afraid, that thing comes on you and you feel fear. But hold on a second. So it's not my fault. It's not my choice because it's coming on me. You're right, but hold on. When it comes on you, you have a choice because you're a believer with authority that you can speak to it or not speak to it. If you choose not to speak to it, the fear will stay, but therefore in God's eyes, you chose to have that fear because you could have removed it and you didn't. So therefore, fear is a choice. Luke was up playing in that. We have a thing, the previous owners, they like this, what do you call that, Jenny, in the backyard? It's that tree, tree house. It's kind of like a tree house, but it's from the ground. But it goes quite high. Luke's only five, and he likes climbing. He's a monkey. And so he's climbing, and I felt that fear come. He's going to fall. If he falls off that peak, he'll kill, he can kill himself. Like it's high enough that he can break his neck. And he's got, no, his brothers don't want to climb, so he's out there on his own with his mitts, which are slippery, and he's climbing that peak. And, and, and I felt, you know, I, you know, this natural wisdom, you've got to use parental wisdom, but I felt fear come. I felt fear. Now, fear brings torment, the Bible says. Now, the inward witness doesn't bring torment. So when the inner witness says, stop him, do this, do that, then I have to, but there's no torment attached to the inner witness. But I felt torment, I felt fear, that's demonic. That's the devil trying to tell me, Brandon, he's going to fall and kill himself or hurt himself. But there was torment that came with it, so I know it's not from God. So now I can either let that stay with me or I can speak to it. And I said, I rebuke you, you spirit of fear. Uh, I'm checking my spirit, Father. Do I stop him? Is he okay? There was peace. So I just said, he's fine. But I felt that fear, but I said, no, you don't. And it left. And of course, he was fine. He has no problem. But another time, he was out there playing in his room. No danger. And I heard the Holy Ghost say, apply the blood. I said, he's inside. What's the problem? There's nothing he can do. Next, three minutes later, I hear a scream. He had fallen in the closet. There was one of those little rubber things on the in-closet metal rack, you know, with the shelves. It had been removed by accident. He fell against it. It cut a massive gash in his leg. There's blood flying everywhere. He's screaming to high heaven. And the Holy Ghost, see, there was no torment there, but there was a sense of danger. Pray for him. Get up, do something. Check on him. Apply the blood. And I didn't listen. See, there was no torment with that, but that was the inner witness. And if I had of that, it would have been averted. But see, the other thing with the, with the thing was torment attached to it, fear, torment. That's not the inner witness. So I spoke to it. If I didn't speak to it, I would have kept feeling afraid. What would that have done? It would have opened the door for there actually to be a problem. Because fear opens the door for the devil to come in. So I'm actually protecting my children by rejecting fear. And you protect your life when you're afraid of COVID or whatever it is, or catching something or whatever, you, you, you're actually opening up a door by not speaking to that fear. The best thing to do is kick that fear right in the head and come to church. And if your boss is telling you that I don't want you to go where crowds are, then you need to tell your boss, well, I guess I can't go to the grocery store. I guess I can't go to Shoppers Drug Mart because there's just as so many people there as there are here. We're social distancing. People are, you know, we tell people wear masks, whether they do or not is their business, but they, they are supposed to. And besides all of that, isn't the blood of Jesus? Now, so the blood shall be upon you, a sign unto you upon the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over, and the plague will not be upon you to destroy you. That's right. Do we believe this or not? So if there's laziness, deal with it. And if there's fear, deal with it. There's no other reason why. Can I end with the last fifth point? There's five fingers. I've got to give you five points, Lorraine. The last point is you do it because you're going to be blessed. Because what does the Bible say? It's 12, 11. I've got four minutes. What does it say? Psalm 92, verse 13. This, this is powerful. And you know this, but I'm just 
preaching to the choir, but it needs to be preached. Psalm 92 and verse 13. And the Bible says in Psalm 92 and 13, those that be planted, not that just once in a while, planted means faithful. In the house of the Lord, that's the place where we gather to honor Jesus, shall flourish, shall flourish. You be faithful to church and God's, remember the faithful man will bound in blessings and, and you're going to flourish. What does Jeremiah 17 and verse 8 say? That was the theme verse God gave me when COVID started. And I hope you remember it and I hope you keep confessing it because this is the theme verse he gave us. Uh, <clears throat> Jeremiah 17 and verse 8. For he shall be as a tree planted by the Planted. Planted means faithful. The waters here means the word. The water is often in the Bible is symbolic of the word of God. Where the word is flowing, what, where is it flowing? Where the preacher is preaching. When the word is flowing, that's where you get planted. That's the local church. They'll be, like the tr- they'll be like a tree planted by the waters that spreads out her roots by the river and shall not see, that word seed means consider, will not even consider when the heat or the oppression or the attack comes. See, people aren't coming to church because you're considering COVID. But Jesus said, if you're planted, you won't even think about it. You won't even consider the heat, the attack, the pressure, the fear when it comes. You won't even think about it. And what, ha- what happens when you don't give attention and cooperation to the heat or the attack? Her leaf shall be green. She shall not be anxious in the year of drought, and neither will they cease yielding fruit. When you come, you're blessed. Hallelujah. What does Psalm 23, 6 say? I'll quote it to you. You know what he says. Uh, Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell, not visit, dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My home is where God's He's, I am the house of God, my spirit is, but I gather with my brothers and sisters, it's New Testament doctrine as much as Old Testament because the New Testament is called the local church. Amen. And 70% of references in the New Testament to the word church refer to a physical building and a physical gathering, not an invisible universal church. 70% or higher refer to the physical gathering of people in a local assembly, which means God in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, he calls it the house of God in the old and he calls it the church in the new. But there is both in both covenants, in both old and new, he is constantly telling people, gather, gather, gather. You know what Pastor Nancy said to me on the phone this week? She said, Pastor Craig, who would have thought that gathering together and the lack thereof could affect the momentum, the spiritual momentum of so many Christians? She said the lack of gathering has affected the momentum spiritually of so many believers because there's something about making the effort and coming and seeing people and honoring and serving God and ministry fellows. And there's something that watching it on your couch does not, it does not right. count. It does, it, it's good, and thank God for the financials, but it's not the same. Amen. Praise God. You know, on Monday morning, we know when we ended the daily connections, Friday night, and then I was doing two more days, Remember? because of, we were getting together on Wednesday last week and I wanted to do right to, to, be, to be technical. He said, wait until you get back. So we get back Wednesday. I'm going to end it Tuesday. But on Monday morning when I got up, we had an internet problem, so Taylor did it. But when I got up ready to do it before I knew about the internet problem and I was, I was checking my spirit, what he wanted to share, there was a flat line. I was completely dead. And I said, Lord, I haven't felt this once since I started on January 18th. I said, what's going on? And I heard the Holy Spirit say, uh, you should have ended this Friday night. He said, it's okay that you do it for these, these last four. That's fine. He said, put the pictures up. That's fine. He said, but the season of the, my season was to end it when the congregation's pictures ended it, which was Friday night. Look at that. Exact timing. I didn't plan it that way. We didn't know how long the lockdown would last for. And they ended it a week early. So exactly to the day that we had the five families per day, it ended that Friday night. And he said, the reason why you feel no anointing is because there's no anointing to do this. 
Now listen to me, I'll teach you something about things that pertain to the Spirit. He said, now, when you start to speak, I will anoint you. Because those last three were, I could feel the anointing. He said, but the anoint, he said, I'm anointing you for the people's sake. I'm not anointing you because you're in my will. Are you listening to me? This helps me to understand how God thinks. Because the people are watching, I'm going to anoint you for their sake. But before, didn't matter if they were watching or not. I was anointing you because I asked you to do it. You're in my will. Are you with me? So what the Lord said is, son, you've got to get more skillful in knowing where I want you. And when I want you, because when you're in my will, listen, the anointing, the help, the protection, the strength, the grace, it's there. Yeah. Now, you better listen to me, because God is saying to you, just like he said to me, my will was over, that's why the anointing lifted. Now, it's God's will for people to come to church in this season. If people don't go where God wants them to go, I was doing something God hadn't asked me to do by doing it for the last four meetings. There was an anointing because the people were putting a demand, but not because I was in God's will. Isn't that fascinating? When, you, when God asks you to do something, the anointing is there. When you won't do what God asks you to do, the anointing won't be there. When God says, come to church and you don't, the anointing will start to wane on your life. I'm, I, I'm speaking by the Spirit to those, those of you that are watching that have made decisions, erroneous decisions, to not put Jesus first in this season. When God has asked you to come and he's asked me to preach a whole sermon, which I didn't even want to, but he's asking you, I've given you scripture and four or five points as to why you come to church. If you know that God wants you and this, the, uh, there's an anointing that is ready for, to bless you, to help you, to protect you, to help your kids, to help your finances, because of it's connected to obedience. If you choose not to, the anointing will start to lift off your life. Not because God's mad at you, but because your disobedience to what he's asked has positioned you away. He's not trying to hurt you. You're hurting yourself by positioning yourself away from that flow of the anointing. Do you understand? I didn't know. I was just trying to be an honorable person. I said, we're going to go and tell the thing. Did I pray about that? No. I should have said, Lord, do you want me to do four more, four more daily connections? If I'd asked, he would have said no. But I didn't ask because I just, I'm a technical person. So if I say I'm going to go to the lockdown ends, I'm going to go to the lockdown ends. The lockdown ends on, on Tuesday night. I'm going to go to Tuesday night. But if I'd asked him, he would have said, no, it's, it's done now. But I didn't ask him, so I was out of his will, but he's still anointed for the people, but not because I was in his will. Isn't that fascinating? So when God says, come to church and you don't come, you, the anointing will start to lift off you. You don't want that because you want that anointing, believe me. You, you can't operate in life. I don't just mean ministry, but in any area of life, you need that anointing on you and working with you, that grace, that power of God. You need it working with you to maximum, to maximum potential to get, to get through what we're going through in this society. So it's very important. Why do you do it? Because when you're in that obedience, you're blessed. So what's the first reason? Because you are a supply. What's the second reason? Because he asked you to. What's the third reason? Because you put him first. What's the fourth reason? Because you're faithful. And what's the fifth reason? Because you want to be blessed. And that's why you come to church. And as we close, I'm going to read you something that CBN, you know Pat Robertson, CBN, he put out an article by a very prominent theologian in the States. This guy is like a very respected theologian. It's very short, but I want to read it to you. The title of it is called, he took excerpts from this theologian's article. And the, and the article is called, Leading Bible Scholar Warns Churches About the Dangers of E-Worship. Listen, it's not long, and then we'll close. While concerns about religious liberty violations are filling up the headlines, noted theologian N.T. Wright is concerned about the dangers with e-worship as it pertains to the importance of the church having a public presence 
in society. In his forthcoming book, quote, God and the Pandemic, Wright addresses the societal shift toward behaving, sorry, toward believing that religion and Christianity specifically is a private movement that should have no place in public life. The society is trying to, inf to push us to say your deal is a private opinion and it has no place in public life. That's what the world is trying to tell us. And the church has to push back and say, no, it does have a place. And when you don't come to church, you're yielding to that spirit of the world. Okay, especially when others are being arrested for doing it and we're not and people still won't. Now listen, this is what, this is what Dr. Wright said, quote unquote, thus... I can, go to sh I can go shopping in the crowded little liquor store on the corner, but I cannot go and sit in the ancient prayer-soaked chapel across the street. He writes, quote, worship becomes invisible. Shutting churches will appear to collude with this by saying that we will temporarily abolish corporate worship and join with others only on live stream services from the vicar's living room. We may seem to be agreeing we may seem to be agreeing that really we are just a group of like-minded individuals pursuing our rather arcane private hobby. It's outdated and it's a hobby. So you can do it from the pastor's living room and you can sit in your living room and eat popcorn. But that is not the, what Jesus paid a price for on the cross. This is not a hobby. This is a living organism called the church and it is a force to be reckoned with and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But the world is trying to push us in a societal shift that this is just your opinion, this is an arcane attitude, and this is a hobby. I'm almost done. Over time, Wright explains that, quote, there is danger in virtual church gatherings because it gives the false impression that church is a private club only for the like-minded and cordons it off from the rest of society. There is a great value in the physical presence of the church in the public square when it is safe to do so, of course. It is critical that church congregations begin to meet again when the government gives them permission. Absolutely. This is a non-spirit-filled theologian. How much more should us who are spirit-filled? Our, quote, quote, our churches have been for centuries physical and often audible reminders on the high streets and in the city squares, on the village greens, and in the suburban developments of the vital dimension to life which Western uh, modernity has tried to crowd out. Modernness, modern, modern ideas are trying to crowd out the church. And he said for years, for centuries, we've had a public presence. We will no doubt learn that men, many things in this time of forced exile, and that's exactly what it is, forced exile, but we should be praying towards the day when our buildings will function within society as they were designed by God to do. Wright went on to explain he is concerned with the ways in which the church has meekly followed secular society's lead during the coronavirus pandemic. He quotes, public worship of the triune God in a public place, observing whatever security measures are appropriate, has always been a major part in sending out that signal to a watching world. Right. Mm, it's very important. So while there are instances of religious liberty violation, many are worried more about the importance of gathering together physically as is mandated by the scripture and ensuring that the church is playing their vital role. There are some, he's saying, there are some uh, religious violations, but most times it's not religious violation. 
and people are just not doing what they should do. Last paragraph. Among many other things, this pandemic has revealed why it is critical for the church to have a very physical presence in the public square. Zoom calls and Facebook live events and live stream are good, Dr. Wright says, on a temporary basis only. But ultimately, it is for the hobbyists and the long-distance relationships, not the body of Christ. If you're part of the body of Christ, you're not a hobbyist. This is not a hobby. You're not in a long-distance relationship with Jesus or with me as your pastor. If you have a right to come, Jesus expects you to come. And quite frankly, I expect you to come. And I don't expect you to operate in fear because we've taught you better. And I don't expect you to be lazy because Jesus deserves better. And that's all I've got to say about that. Like Forrest Gump, that's all I've got to say about that. Remember Forrest when he was done with something? That's all I've got to say about that. And that's all I've got to say about that. Now I'm free. I didn't even want to preach this message, but Jesus said I, need, I, I require more than their finances. I require their life. Jesus didn't die for me just so I give him my tithe. He died for me so that I give him my life. And while I deeply appreciate those of you that are sowing financially and giving, and please don't stop, I'm asking you to fill the services. Whether it's a Wednesday, Sunday, prayer meeting, youth fast, whatever, fill the services. Do it for Jesus, not for me. I don't care if you want to come for me. I want you to come for him. You've got to have the right motive anyway, or, or I'll disappoint you. If you come to me and then I don't preach what you like or I don't jump and shout the way you think I should, you'll be, leave disappointed. But if you do it for Jesus, he'll never disappoint you. Amen. So, Heavenly Father, I bless this congregation. Those that are watching, those that are in the building, I thank you, Lord, that as Dr. Wright has so correctly and, edu- and eloquently and theologically said that we are not hobbyists, we are not in long-distance relationships, we are the body of Christ. And while Facebook and live stream and all these things are good temporarily, when we have the ability to meet, we as the body of Christ are obligated by God word and by the generations before us that watch us in the cloud of witnesses in heaven we are obligated to show strength and to show faithfulness and to have the let the body of Christ be a public voice and not go quietly into the night father we stand our ground and we say we have a voice we have a savior that we are serving we do this for him we honor him And Lord, I thank you for those, the vast majority that have agreed with this and that are coming. But I'm asking you, Lord, you touch the hearts of the others that are afraid, the others that are too busy, the others maybe that say, my job doesn't want me to go. Well, Father, uh, they need to stand up to their boss and say, my religion is important to me. And if a Muslim was telling you that they wanted to go to their mosque, you wouldn't say nothing about it. But because I'm a Christian, you say no. No, my religion is important to me and I will follow the rules and I will not be in crowds, but I'm going to worship Jesus whether you like it or not. And Lord Jesus, you are worth that kind of fight. You are worth us standing up for you. You are worth us not going quietly into the night because our bosses say we don't want you doing this or we don't want you doing that. Lord Jesus, you are worth more. You are our life. And Father, I'll leave it to the inward witness for each individual to determine what exactly how far they are to go with their bosses if their bosses are limiting them. But the vast majority of us are not being limited by our bosses. It's fear or laziness. So I thank you that they deal with that issue. They deal with that mindset. And they put you first. They are a supply. You've asked them to do it. You are first. They are going to be faithful to have you as you have it in your heart, Lord. And we are going to be blessed because we're planted in the house of the Lord and we will flourish. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray and I give you praise. And everybody said, Amen.